What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. I'm Connor Boyle. It's the Sunday debate, and this week we're looking at Iran. The recent release of Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, the British Iranian who was held in Iran for nearly six years on disputed charges and claims of an unpaid debt between the UK and Iran, has put Britain's international relationship with the country back in the spotlight. Iran's foreign policy is a complex issue, and today we're going back into the archive, back to 2020, when we invited four speakers, including the journalist and broadcaster Mehdi Hassan, academic and writer Azadeh Moavani, the Saudi political analyst Salman al-Ansari, and former Conservative MEP Daniel Hannan, to debate the motion, Iran is not our enemy. It's a fiery debate with plenty of back and forth, and also questions from our live online audience, and chairing the discussion is Lise Doucette, the BBC's Chief International Correspondent. Here's Lise with more. Welcome to all of you, wherever you join us here tonight. And let me remind you, ladies and gentlemen, you may remember a time not so long ago before this coronavirus pandemic, when the fear of another war in the Middle East sparked by tensions between Iran and the United States and its regional allies was at the top of the agenda in many capitals. It dominated our headlines, and it's still a major fault line. So this debate matters. Your questions matter and your understanding matters. Ladies and gentlemen, our pre-vote is in. Democracy has spoken for the motion, Iran is not our enemy, 53%. Against the motion, 14%. Ooh, undecided, a whopping 33%. So let's begin, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very pleased to announce that our first speaker tonight at our Intelligence Squared Online Plus, first speaker for the motion is Mehdi Hassan. He is a veteran of Intelligence Squared, of course, journalist and broadcaster. He's the host of Upfront and head-to-head on Al Jazeera English. He's also a columnist for The Intercept and a contributing editor for The New Statesman. Mehdi Hassan, the floor is yours. Thank you, Lise. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is a debate. So before you vote, let's be clear what you're voting for, what this debate is actually about, because we will hear a lot from the opposition today about Iran's awful human rights record, its lack of democracy, its sponsorship of terrorism and extremism, its support for the brutal Assad regime in Syria. And I'm not here to dispute any of those things. Iran has a lot to answer for. I'm no fan of the Iranian government. But that's not what we're here to debate today, whether Iran is good or bad. 
No, we're here to debate very specifically whether Iran is our enemy, not our adversary, not our rival, not our opponent, but our enemy. And enemy has a very specific meaning. Enemies aren't just those you compete with or argue with. They're people uh, you have to hate, you have to want to fight, you have to eventually try and destroy. Is that really what we want? Another war? And does Iran even fit the definition of a real enemy? Here are three very simple reasons, in my view, why Iran doesn't fit that definition and why you should support this motion uh, tonight. Number one, um, Iran is not our enemy because it's a strange sort of enemy that has worked with the West to fight the West's worst enemies. After 9-11, it was Iran that helped the US and UK topple the Taliban in Afghanistan and end the al-Qaeda presence in that country in 2016 and 2017. It was Iranian-backed militias that helped the US and UK defeat ISIS in Iraq. They were the much-needed ground troops. Number two, Iran is not our enemy because it's a strange sort of enemy that spent two years negotiating with us to limit its own nuclear program uh, that signed a, a historic, unprecedented 159-page diplomatic agreement in which they publicly pledged, quote, under no circumstances will Iran ever seek, develop, or acquire any nuclear weapons. And then, according to every independent expert, every IAEA report, they stuck to the terms of that deal. They did not break that deal. In fact, it was the United States under Donald Trump that walked away from that violated that historic nuclear agreement. Number three, Iran is not our enemy, because if the opposition want you to believe that sponsoring terrorism, fermenting extremism, denying democracy to your people automatically makes you an enemy of the West, then what on earth does that make Saudi Arabia? I can't wait to hear Salman al-Ansari's speech for the opposition on behalf of the Saudis today, because it wasn't 15 Iranians who were on those planes on 9-11. It was 15 Saudis. It wasn't uh, Iranian school curriculum that ISIS borrowed from in Raqqa. It was the Saudi school curriculum. Uh, it wasn't an al-Qaeda-sponsored Iranian cadet uh, who just six months ago shot and killed three U.S. Navy sailors at a military base in Florida. It was an al-Qaeda-sponsored Saudi cadet. And yet, despite all of this, we're perfectly okay saying Saudi Arabia is not only not our enemy, but it's our ally, our friend, our BFF in the region, while Iran is our mortal enemy. Sorry, how does any of that make any sense uh, whatsoever? Look, let me be very clear. Iran has done a lot of bad things. It has. But try and put yourselves in Iranian shoes, because the UK and US have done bad things to Iran too. Uh, they helped overthrow a democratically elected Iranian government in a coup in 1953. They helped Saddam Hussein's Iraq. Uh, killed hundreds of thousands of Iranians during the Iran-Iraq war in the 1980s, including with poison gas. The U.S. also shot down an Iranian civilian airliner in 1988, killing 290 people on board and never apologized. Now, of course, many in Iran, the hardliners, the extremists, like our own hardliners and extremists, John Bolton, want us to be enemies with them forever. They want a war at some point. But I'm not here to defend those hardliners or their rhetoric of, you know, the great Satan and death to America and flag burning. It's dumb. It's unhelpful. It's undeniably hostile and belligerent. I get that. But we're not kids in a playground. The point is not for us to respond with more hostility, more belligerence, more provocations, more deadly economic sanctions in return. No, the point is to ratchet down tensions in the region, to de-escalate, to strengthen diplomatic and economic ties and use things like trade, which I often hear my good friend Daniel Hannan extol the virtues of to transform hostility into harmony, to promote democracy and freedom in Iran, not more paranoia and dictatorship. And to do all of that by voting for, by endorsing this motion, our motion today. But I will say this, 
It's strange to see Daniel Hannan on the opposition side. Daniel, who opposed George Bush's invasion of Iraq, who opposed Barack Obama's war in Libya, now pushing for Donald Trump and his deranged cohorts to attack Iran. The mind boggles. This is what Daniel wrote in January about the Iranians. And I quote, they need to be confronted and defeated. That's a call for war. It is. Is that really what you want to vote for today? Another trillion dollar disastrous illegal Middle East war that kills tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of innocent people? I mean, don't forget, a war with Iran would make the war with Iraq look like a walk in the park. And one final point before I wrap up. Think about the wording of this motion. Iran is not our enemy. Who is the our here? Who is the implied we? Is it Saudi Arabia? Is it the UAE? Is it Israel? Because Iran probably is an enemy of Saudi Arabia, of Israel, of the UAE. But come on, it poses no actual strategic threat. It's not an enemy to the people of Europe or the US, several thousand miles away from the US, or at least it shouldn't be treated as an enemy by us. If you think it's an enemy of Saudi Arabia, fine, vote, for the mo- vote against the motion. But it's not an enemy of ours. I, for one, am fed up with conflating the interests of foreign governments with those of our own. I, for one, am fed up with Western countries taking sides in a Middle East regional conflict that we should really have nothing to do with. I, for one, am fed up with the never-ending wars that the US and the UK keep starting in the Middle East and with those irresponsible people, the unthinking hawks, who keep pushing for those attacks. There should not be a war with Iran. There cannot be a war with Iran. Iran is many, many things, but it is clearly not our enemy. So I beg to propose this motion. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mehdi Hassan, for the motion. And he has thrown down the gauntlet. Our next speaker against the motion, Salman al-Ansari. He's an independent Saudi political analyst and the founder of the Washington, D.C.-based Saudi American Public Relations Affairs. Salman, the floor is yours. Thank you, Liz. And hello, everyone. And thank you for joining today from your very busy schedules, I'm sure. This is a strange time, and it's a pity that this debate has been moved online due to COVID-19. But I can tell you that my mom at least is thrilled with it being this way. Let me explain. Two years ago, I was almost killed for speaking like I am today. I was invited to talk at the biggest Iranian government opposition gathering of 25,000 people in Paris in solidarity with the Iranian people. Before I left to travel to France, however, my mom had pleaded with me not to go. She was concerned about my outspoken involvement against the Iranian regime. You know, this is something with all moms. No matter what your age is, they always worry. So I told her, come on, mom, the Iranian regime wouldn't dare do something in Paris. I'll be safe there. It's France. So I went as planned. I delivered my speech. It all went smoothly. But afterwards, on my way back to the hotel, online is where it all blew up. No pun intended. Ping, 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 BBC, Reuters, AFP, all popped up onto my phone with the headline, EU intelligence intercepts a terrorist bombing on an Iranian rally in France. What? That was the rally I had just been at. The French government, the French government, two years ago, later came out stating that the Iranian intelligence ministry was behind the plot. An Iranian diplomat and Iranian terrorist were detained. They had half a kg of explosives and a detonator in them. Can you imagine the sheer atrocity? The learned lesson, never underestimate your mom's intuition. Putting my personal story aside, let's break down the motion which says Iran is not our enemy. Not to be pedantic, but the definition of enemy itself from the Latin in amicus is simply not a friend 
while the Oxford Dictionary defines enemy as a person or nation who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. So I'm not being harsh or irrational here. Last year, according to Reuters, Iran killed 1,500 of their own citizens and injured thousands, with 7,000 people detained. This was just last year. Why? Their crime was that they were protesting because they are starving. 40% of the Iranian population is currently under the absolute poverty line. They are starving to death. Despite this, Iran squanders $16 billion every year supporting terrorist groups, including Hezbollah, according to the FDD. Hezbollah is the world's most heavily armed non-state actor with estimates of 130,000 rockets and missiles and up to 65,000 fighters, according to the Iranian Fars News Agency, an Iranian government-controlled media, by the way. You know, just like you never have to ask a vegan if they are vegan because they will always say it themselves. No offense, vegans. I really like you. The Iranian regime is just the same, but with their terrorist activities. Most of the world's nations consider Hezbollah with its military wing, with its military wing a, a, a terrorist organization, including the UK and Germany just this year. They boast about their suicide bombings, hostage crises, embassy attacks, and flight hijacks with all of the statistics of how many thousands of innocent people had been murdered in cold blood over the years. And it's not just Iran's funded militias that are wreaking havoc. The Iranian regime itself has overtly attacked many embassies in Tehran, including the British embassy in, in November 2011. Look, nobody wants to start a war here. But it's the rest of the world that is on the receiving end of Iran's warfare, aggression, terrorism, and bloodshed. A simple question, friend or enemy? In 2015, Iran signed a nuclear deal with the U.S. in exchange for $150 billion and lifted sanctions. What did they do with this money? No, they did not invest it into building a more stable nation for their people. No, they did not build hospitals or schools. Instead, they channeled the money towards their terror networks around the globe. So the million-dollar question, or rather the billion-dollar question, why did Iran do this, though? Expansionism is their priority. Compared to Hitler, Ali Khamenei, the current supreme leader, or what I call the current extreme leader of Iran, is the only one who calls the shots for the entire country. There's no concept of moderates and hardliners in Iran. His expansionist ideologies stem from the Islamic Republic of Iran's constitution that actually states that they must, and I quote, expand the sovereignty of God's law throughout the world. This government has ballistic missiles and is currently progressing their nuclear powers. Nobody knew what Hitler was capable of before he committed his catastrophic atrocities. Friend or enemy. Now, before I finish up, I want you to guess who said, who said this comment. I quote, Iran is a state sponsor of terrorism. This was said in 2015. It wasn't by Donald J. Trump. It was Barack Hussein Obama. So there is no argument here. If we believe that Iran is not our enemy, then we need to revise our definition of the word enemy in the dictionary. And we need to seriously reevaluate what we believe to be right and wrong. Thank you so much for listening. And yeah, and by the way, my mom says hi to everybody. <laughs> Salman Ansari, with a vote for mom, I think everyone will vote for mom, but he is a first speaker against the motion. Iran is not our enemy. Our second speaker for the motion is Azadeh Mouaveni. She's a lecturer in, in journalism at New York University, London. She is the director of the Gender Project at the International Crisis Group. And she is also the author of three best-selling books on Iran. Most recently, Guesthouse 
for widows among the women of Islamic State, the ISIS. She's reported on the Middle East for two decades. I would like Salman to put me on the phone with his mother, because I'm a little bit concerned about the company he's keeping. Uh, the Iranian opposition group in Paris, whose conference he went to attend, is was also a designated terrorist group by the United States of America. It is a terrifying group from the perspective of Iranians like me, because it has unleashed a campaign of murder and terrorist attacks on Iranians for most of the last 30 years. It is a cult that imposes mandatory hysterectomies on its women members. It is something to be terrified uh, and to be reviled. Uh, it cannot be seen as something that is an opposition group. Uh, and I would be really worried for Salman if, if his definitions of things are so muddled that mandatory hysterectomies are his notion uh, of a political front uh, to be supported. Um, returning to the subject of our motion, uh, we, we are asked tonight to consider whether Iran is our enemy. Um, I would like to put it to you that Iran is, is many things, and we should think about what they are in order to decide whether we're going to perceive it as anything so stark as a foe. Iran is a regional power in the Middle East with ambitious and security concerns of its own. It's one of the world's greatest ancient civilizations. It is a modern stable state, likely the most stable state in, in all of the region, that has been a political and military bulwark against the strain of genocidal Wahhabi jihadism, as Mehdi pointed out. It has a diverse and resilient economy that could be the biggest market economy with potential for European investors. It has a large, sophisticated and skilled population. And it has a culture that has produced for you Iranian cinema, one of the most sublime forms of contemporary art in the world today. None of these things sound like an enemy to me. And Iran, as a nation, is its people as well. Let me convey some of this to you, the political story, through two other stories. I want to tell you about 2001. I had started out as a young reporter for Time magazine in the Middle East. One of the first stories I covered was the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks. It was an evening in mid-September. The world was reeling from 15 Saudi citizens driving planes into the Twin Towers, killing nearly 3,000 people. I heard news that Iranians around the city of Tehran were streaming into squares, holding candles, a vigil in solidarity with the victims of those attacks. I rushed to the scene to report, and it was such a captivating thing that, that I encountered. Young children with their grandmothers, men and women of all different backgrounds, holding candles in the dark in solidarity with the victims of September 11th, chanting death to terrorism. In other parts of the region, the reaction was jubilation, but not in Iran, where there remains a real respect and admiration for the West, despite all of the things historical and contemporary that Iranians can bear as real grievances against Western uh, interference and behavior in their country and politics. Iran has a population of 80 million people. As I said, it is the largest, most educated, Western-oriented middle class in the region. To consider it an enemy is not only wrong, but it's destructive because it robs the rest of the women of the Middle East from interacting with and benefiting from a country that has superpowered women's education. Women are highly literate in Iran. It is above 90% literacy. Women form the majority of university students. Women uh, run and win 
elections for city council. They sit in parliament. They are directors and novelists. They top bestseller lists. This kind of participation of women in Iranian public life is a model of gender equality for the region. And it's largely left behind, cut off because of this notion that Iran is our enemy and that it must be isolated. I want to underscore that Iranian women deserve credit for this, not their government. This is not a state accomplishment, but Iranian women make up half of Iran and their families and brothers, husbands, partners who often support or grudgingly accept or tolerate their behavior are the other half. None of them are our enemy. If you support any kind of vision of gender equality in the Middle East, if you support the women, peace and security agenda, uh, UN Resolution 1325, this year is the 20th anniversary, you cannot fall into the trap of considering Iran an enemy or a foe, because this is the thinking that will lead us to war. And the thinking that will, because that war and the inevitable destruction that will bring with it, undo all of these gains that Iranian women have made. And it will disrupt the potential of women on all of Iran's borders, Iraq, Afghanistan, countries which Iran has deep political, social and cultural ties traveling back and forth from learning, growing and interacting. My second story for you is the summer of 2014. The Islamic State, which has declared a caliphate based on the genocide of Yazidis and Shias, is rolling towards Baghdad. It is the Iranian military, its advisors and its uh, logisticians who push it back, sparing the United States and the West a ground war. This cannot be our enemy. It was Iran that kept ISIS from taking Baghdad and the country of Iraq. I urge you to vote for our motion. Thank you very much. And uh, last uh, but not least, our last speaker against the motion, Daniel Hanan former Conservative member of the European Parliament for Southeast England. He was a prominent campaigner for Brexit. He's a prolific journalist and an author of nine books. Even Mehdi Hassan might be impressed by that, including a doomed <laughs> marriage, Britain and Europe. Daniel Hanan, the floor is yours. Well, thank you, Lise, and good evening. And may I begin by saying I hope everyone will agree with Azadeh's point about the greatness and richness of Iranian civilization. I hope there isn't a single person watching at home who thinks that we should make an enemy of Persian culture or of Iranian cinema, right? We have, we have no quarrel with Nizami or Rumi or Omar Khayyam. We have no quarrel with those wonderful poems about roses and moonlight and jugs of wine. If we'd been having a debate 50 years ago on the motion the Soviet Union is not our enemy, everyone would have understood that the quarrel was not with the Russian people or the Polish or the Bulgarian people, but rather with an oppressive and expansionist dictatorship which had chosen to confront freedom and democracy globally. And just as we confronted and defeated, without an invasion, the expansionist ideology of Soviet communism, so we need to recognize the nature of the oppressive regime in Tehran. Let me quote briefly from the latest Amnesty International report on Iran. This is from last year. The authorities heavily suppressed the rights to freedom of expression, association and assembly. Security forces used lethal force unlawfully to crush protests, killing hundreds and arbitrarily detaining thousands of protesters. The authorities arbitrarily detained over 200 human rights defenders and imposed sentences of imprisonment and flogging against many of them. The authorities intensified their crackdown against women's rights defenders campaigning against forced veiling. Ethnic and religious minorities faced entrenched discrimination 
torture and other ill treatment, including through the denial of medical care, remain widespread and systematic. Now, of course, it is true that there are lots of other dictatorships in the world. Mekti predictably talked about Saudi Arabia. He could have mentioned Tajikistan or Belarus or Laos. But here's the difference. They are not in a state of self-declared enmity with us, right? Mekti began by saying we need to look at, at, at what the precise meaning of enemy is. It is a word repeatedly leveled at Britain and the United States by Khamenei as recently as June of last year in a speech to the Iranian judiciary. He said the enemy is England after their long ties to the Bahlavi monarchy and the United States even more so. So this is, you know, don't take my word for it. Listen to the guys actually in charge in Tehran. And here's the difference, I think, between the Iranian dictatorship and your common or garden dictatorship. The Iranian revolution, the Islamic revolution, was primarily a revolution rather than an Islamic uh, event. And like all revolutions, it's thought to spill out from behind its borders and to replicate itself around the world, just like the French Revolution or the Russian Revolution. What was the signature act of the revolutionaries in 1979? It was the siege of the U.S. embassy. Just think for a moment quite how shocking that act was. I mean, if the United States tomorrow were to go to war with Cuba, we would reasonably expect that diplomats would be peacefully evacuated through neutral countries. It happened even during the Second World War. But by deliberately violating the concept of the sanctity of a legation, territorial jurisdiction, the Ayatollahs were saying, we do not recognize the law of nations. We do not answer to the same rules as the rest of them. And they went on in similar vein, sponsoring militias and terrorist groups on every continent, in Lebanon, in Iraq, in Yemen, in Europe. I mean, we've, uh, when, when we're, we're told it's not an enemy, never mind just that attack in France. We've seen attacks in, uh, or terrorist activity in Denmark, in India, in Argentina, for heaven's sake. 85 people murdered in the 1994 Iranian-sponsored attack in Buenos Aires. Now, you, you've got to stop and ask the question, why Buenos Aires? I mean, it's hard to think of anywhere more distant from Iran than Buenos Aires that's still on dry land. And I think the answer is to show that they could, to show that they are uh, waging this global war against the people that they have defined as their enemies. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we should be launching some new invasion. I I'm not aware of anyone in this debate proposing that. And, and, and when Mekti implies that I've said so, that is absolutely wrong. Uh, he, he was right that I opposed the invasion of Iraq and Libya. And of course, I'm not in favor of declaring war on Iran. But I am in favor of recognizing how that regime defines itself as a permanent revolution, as a regime that, if you like, needs to export its violence in Leninist terms that exports its internal contradictions, or to borrow a metaphor from chaos theory, a regime that drinks order from its environment. And that's when we defeated the Soviet Union, we did it by confrontation, by recognizing the threat, but not by a military invasion, but rather by liberating the peoples oppressed by that dictatorship so that they could again breathe free air. And I look forward to the day when the oppressed peoples of Iran can take their place as a great and free nation equally in the councils of the world.
Thank you very much uh, there and even before time. Ladies and gentlemen, those were our two speakers for the motion and two speakers against the motion. So let's take our first question. It is a question for both Salman as well as for Mehdi. Let me start with you, Mehdi. Rahim Rizvi Ahmed asks us, who decided that Iran is our enemy? And more importantly, who is that our? Who is our Mehdi? Uh, it's a very good question. It's a point I made towards the end of my speech, which is on what basis do we define uh, an enemy? And I think, um, you know, the point is that if you're in that region, lots of countries see each other as enemies in all sorts of ways for good and bad reasons, for legitimate and illegitimate reasons. And as I said earlier, you know, if the Saudis, if Salman and the Saudis want to say Iran is their enemy, fine, they probably have a good case. That's their prerogative. But that doesn't mean that the West, that doesn't mean Luxembourg or Belgium or Canada or the U.S., should decide to treat the Iran as its enemy. I just find that weird. And I think Robert Gates, the former defense secretary under Obama, former CIA chief under Bush Senior, he had a great line back in 2010. He said, look, the Saudis always want to fight Iran to the last American. This idea of client states in the Middle East trying to get big powers to come in and fight wars on their behalf, that's not our job. If people in the Middle East want to go to war, let them go to war. It's not our job to take sides. I'm, I'm not here to defend Iran. I made that very clear. Daniel read out a long Amnesty International uh, list of Iran's human rights abuses. I'm glad he did. Iran has committed a lot of human rights abuses. The problem is Daniel didn't read out the am amnesty reports for Egypt, for the UAE, for Saudi Arabia, for all the other human rights abuses that we don't call our enemy, that we call our allies, that we trade with, that we give money to. I don't want to live in a world where okay. Iran is our enemy and Saudi Arabia is our friend. That's just, all I'm asking for is consistency. Okay. Either Thank you, Mehdi. Thank you. Salman, who's our? Believe it or not, Mahdi is one of the people I admire for his debating skills. But unfortunately, he used two logical fallacies today. What about ism and a straw man? So speaking about Iran and sticking to the topic, which is Iran, and right now he's speaking about Saudi Arabia. Look, I'm an independent Saudi uh, analyst. And yes, I do not agree with all the Saudi policies. But in general, I cannot equate Saudi with Iran. Saudi Arabia is a G20 country. Saudi Arabia is in the top 10 biggest humanitarian assistant contributor in the world. And what about Iran? It spreads what? It spreads terrorism and bloodshed and mass slaughter. And, and, and the, other, the other logical policy he uses, which is a straw man. So instead of speaking about the topic, he would be actually going to uh, what I would call the ad hominem actually attack, which is the fact that I'm Saudi. So I don't see this as a very convincing. With regards to what Azada has mentioned, with regards to the group in Paris, actually, that's what the Iranian regime kept saying, that the MEK is a terrorist group, etc., and they pressured the U.S. And the, West and the world to do so. But who did lifted the sanctions and the designation of MEK? It's Hillary Clinton under the supervision of Obama. So I don't know what you are talking about when you said this is uh, considered to be a designated person. Daniel, you wanted to have a very short, very short answer. Yes, we got any other questions? The question was who defined it and who is we? Well, initially, it was Ayatollah Khomeini when he came to power and said uh, the West has uh, implicated itself in all of these terrible things and is now our enemy. 
uh, you might say that's old history, right? And fair enough, right? I mean, I, I kind of, the one thing I was certain of is that Mekti would bring up the 1953 coup. There comes a point, right, when it is ancient history. It would be like saying, well, the reason, you know, that public health England was badly prepared for the coronavirus crisis is because in 1953, hold on, hold on. And, and his eye was off the back. But here is who defines us as the enemy. Here is Khamenei last year, last June, uh, in a speech called Negotiation with the Enemy, is deception. And who does he define as the enemy? He says this, the Iranian nation will surely progress without you, you the English, and others who used to be control of, in control of every country for 50 years during the era of the Pahlavi. The U.S. enjoyed this domination for 30 years during the second Pahlavi monarch. You are the enemy. You cannot be an enemy. Daniel, I have a question for you. You're going to get a little bit more time. Hassan wants to know, advocating a confrontational policy towards Iran, what have these, what is this policy of confrontation achieved so far he wants to know and indeed well, what are the goals are you is it about regime change is it about changing the behavior or changing the, the whole the whole structure yes i think you have to recognize that the current regime is by its nature by its constitution and by its ideology a belligerent and expansionist one and therefore, we need either some internal reform that removes that, uh, uh, that setting from the current leaders, or, which I think is more likely, a wider democratic reform that would see a pluralist Iran, which recognizes the rights of its national minorities, recognizes the rights of its Sunni and other religious minorities, recognizes the diversity of political opinion there. And I think recognizing that we are dealing with an adversary is the first step towards bringing about a better Iran. Thank you, Daniel. Mehdi, just a brief response. Daniel talks about, you know, the coup in 1953 being ancient history, which is funny because Daniel wrote a book a few years ago where he talked about the coup himself. He's having a go at me for bringing it up. He wrote a book where he admitted the support for the Shah of Iran caused catastrophe, catastrophic consequences. So, yes, history matters. And as for quoting Khamenei, we can go about all dodgy rhetoric all day long. I can quote John Bolton. The point is, Iran under Khamenei signed a nuclear deal. It was America that walked away from that deal. So let's talk about who's making enemies out of who. And in response to Salman, there's no ad hominem here, Salman. I mean, you and I have much in common, not just our jackets and shirts. And I'm a great fan of your mother. She sounds like a wise woman. But come on, you're a Saudi, you're not an independent Saudi analyst. Your organization has a contract with the government of Bahrain. It's funded by who knows how many officials in Saudi Arabia. It's mad for me not to bring up the fact that Saudi Arabia and Israel are countries in the region that are pushing for the West to define Iran as an enemy. That's not whataboutism. That's called geopolitics. For us to ignore the fact that countries in the region are the ones that want to drag us into a new war with Iran is just blindness. That's nothing to do with ad hominem or whataboutism. It's just a fact. Somewhere. May I point out as the moderator that whatever whataboutism that Mehdi used, that Salman also used the, ter the term whatabout. So there's a lot of whataboutism going on. Azadeh, a question from you from Manfredi. For the speakers supporting the motion, do they think then that Western countries led by the US and the UK should completely abandon their presence under any form from the Middle East? That's a great question. And my answer uh, would be no. There are certainly places and ways in which Western powers, whether it's the United States or Britain, uh, have a presence at the invitation uh, of government. I mean, if that is the case, uh, let's look at Iraq in particular. Uh, the Iraqi coalition to defeat ISIS works in close coordination with the United States military. It is there in coordination with the Iraqi government 
And it is crucial. It provides uh, much of the intelligence and satellite imagery and technological know-how that's necessary uh, in the campaign against ISIS. Um, I don't think any of us are calling for a wholesale uh, abandonment of, of the region at all. Um, I think what we're talking about is uh, equity in relations and ensuring that we don't designate certain countries as enemies with the with uh, political and, and subjective aims. Everything that Daniel said about Iranian expansionism, his metrics for states that respect the diversity of their minorities, uh, you could you could turn that vantage to another country. Does Saudi Arabia respect the rights of its Shia minority? Does Bahrain? Certainly not. But we engage with those countries. We trade with them. We sell them masses of arms. Uh, and expansionism, um, everything that he says about expansionism, about Khamenei, is what the neocons in this country said in 2003 about Saddam. Hussein. Saddam Hussein has nefarious intentions. He has ideological hegemonic views about Sunni chauvinism. Uh, we must invade his country, otherwise we're a mortal threat. And look what that logic and understanding wrought for us. A royal country devastated after two decades of already being devastated by sanctions, and it gave rise to a regime uh, of, of instability and violence that produced ISIS. So I think when we talk about enemies by virtue of their potentially uh, classified expansionism, we need to be very clear about precisely what we're talking about. You cannot instrumentalize these terms to further a particular brand of politics that are ideological, that are aligned with the interests of other countries, and that will take us down another path to another disastrous war. Mehdi, would you consider any country in the world as an enemy, Solomon asks? That is actually a great question. Um, would I consider an enemy of the UK at the moment? No, I don't think we have any enemies in the world. I think we have adversaries. I think we have rivals. I think we have people, you know, China. Take China. For me right now, the world's worst government is the Chinese government. What they're doing to the Uyghurs, uh, what they're doing in Hong Kong, what they've done in Tibet, horrifically bad human rights. I'm a million people in caps. Yet we are economically dependent on China. We trade with China. We do deals with China. Daniel wrote an excellent piece in Conservative Home in April saying we have to trade even with horrible countries. Otherwise, if you cut off horrible countries, treat them like enemies, you shore up their autocratic leaders. I agree with that, Daniel. Maybe not the Daniel yeah. today. So oh, no, I don't think right. any country right now is an enemy unless we are specifically at war with them, unless we're in a military conflict or they have declared war on us. Sadly, since World War II, we've expanded the definition of enemy to all sorts of things. And, you know, that's why we go to war too easily. Ladies and gentlemen who are with us in this debate, may I compliment you that our speakers are saying time and again, great question. That's quite a compliment coming from these great minds gathered here in our Intelligence Squared Online Plus uh, debate. In fact, so much so that I'm going to say keep those questions coming. Another question for Daniel. It is from Aparna. If the Iranian regime is our enemy, but the Iranian people are not. How do we ensure that they aren't disproportionately affected by Western sanctions, i.e. the current U.S. economic sanctions? Daniel Hannan. Well, that's another great question. And it, it ties in with what Mehdi just said. I'm actually not in favor ever of economic sanctions. I think they're an incredibly poor tool for precisely the reason that Mehdi quoted a second ago from somebody who obviously knew what he was talking about, right? They, they, they hurt the wrong people. They hurt ordinary people in your own country and in the country that you're targeting. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure, for example, that the, 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 the Castro regime would have collapsed at the end of the 80s had it not been for the U.S. blockade. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the 
uh, oil for food boondoggle kept the, the Ba'athist regime going in Iraq. So I'm in favor of targeted diplomatic sanctions against the regime. I'm not in favor of general economic sanctions against the Iranian people. And actually, I think that the, the, the parallel that, that Mehdi gave a second ago, when he was asked, OK, who do you think is, a, is a, uh, an enemy at the moment? He said, well, the closest is China. Yeah, I, I think I was probably right. And no one is suggesting that the United Kingdom should go to war with China. But a... Just to be clear, I'm not saying China is an enemy. I'm saying the opposite. It doesn't work when more than one person is talking at the same time, and you've so far interrupted literally every, everyone else. Uh, you misquoted me, that's why I just need to correct that. Um, uh, you'll have your chance in a second. But, but uh, although neither he nor I is in favour of military action against China, it would be, I think, crazy not to recognise that we have a basically dangerous regime in Beijing that has military ambitions and to, if you like, make our dispositions accordingly. And that's what I'm asking for in the case of Iran. Yes, Your Excellency Mehdi Hassan. <laughs> Just to be very clear, I think Daniel misunderstood me. I'm not, in fact, I wasn't saying China was an enemy. My whole point was China has one of the world's worst governments and even China I wouldn't consider enemy. It's not about to attack us in any way and we shouldn't be trying to attack it. And if Daniel doesn't favour military action against Iran and doesn't favour economic sanctions against Iran uh, and thinks lots of countries have bad amnesty reports, then he should come over to our side. I'm not sure what he's doing on the other side. Okay, I'm going to bring Azadeh in again on another question from Jonathan. How do those supporting the motion defend the Iranian regime in the sponsorship of terrorism outside their borders? This has nothing to do with other bad regimes, such as Saudi Arabia. Question for you, Azadeh. I, I don't defend the Iranian government, and I'm not here to do that at all. I think that is not at all the, the, the point that we are making here. We have, we have accepted, and, and I will say in response to this particular question, the Iranian government has behaved in many ways, and, and Daniel listed some of them uh, helpfully for us earlier, in ways that are asymmetric, that are, if it was a person, we would talk about this as a negative coping behavior. Iran has in many ways, uh, and at many times, tried to come in from the cold. It has sought to engage its neighbors in the Gulf with uh, collective security arrangements. It has made multiple overtures to the United States to come to some sort of grand bargain so that they could cooperate on if Afghanistan and Iraq and cooperate on, on al-Qaeda that continues to threaten all of us, particularly Iran and ISIS. Uh, when Iran has been rebuffed, when it has been put in line to be invaded after Iraq, when it has been sanctioned for much of the last 40 years, that the economy strangled, it has responded asymmetrically. No one is defending that. I think we simply need to pull back and look at the circumstances which push Iran into a corner. When its legitimate security interests are reviled, when any of its attempts to engage and come into a collective security architecture are, are repudiated, when it is put in a little corner and told to have no regional uh, interests, concerns, and ambitions, it has responded in these ways. And those are not the ways that the Iranian people even want to see their government responding, which is why they voted overwhelmingly for a moderate who backed the nuclear deal with the United States, because Iran wants to come in from the cold. Its leaders have concluded that this is not a way to take their country and their nation forward. It should be given, okay. a, given a chance to do that. Okay. Now, Sal Salman, you're busy making lots of notes. I'm not sure if that's a message to your mother or you're going to be <laughs> take on uh, Azadeh and Mehdi. But I have a question for you, I... and it comes from Maheen, 
which is the speakers against the motion all talk about internal reform. Isn't that, uh, Mahin asked, the responsibility of the Iranian people themselves and not the international community? Salman. Yeah, I think, okay, I think we have to make a distinction between our position and, and uh, the opponent's position. We are not saying in any way whatsoever that we want to go with war with Iran at all whatsoever. But what we want is very simple, to name things by their names. Unfortunately, the opponent party want to distract us by mentioning other countries, by mentioning different things. And I think, because I admire Mahdi's debating skills, I think the best one who can respond to Mahdi is Mahdi himself. He said in Al Jazeera Upfront interview, in, published in the 3rd of December 2016, before Al Jazeera channel shifted its position, he said, Iran supports Houthi fighters in Yemen, Hezbollah in Lebanon, and in Syria. It sends foreign fighters from across the world from as far afield as Afghanistan, Shia fighters into Syria to prop up a government that represents a minority Alawite population. And I also quote him saying the majority of the people in Syria, every independent group, are being killed by the Assad regime, which Iran arms, funds, and supports. That's what Mahdi said. I don't know. I can't understand why he shifted his idea other than the shift of the relationship between Qatar and, and Iran. We, it's great that you want to talk to Mehdi so much, but Mahin wanted you to talk to, to Mahin. And the question about isn't the business of internal reform the business of Iranians and not the international community and outsiders like you and Daniel? The question Salman? is directed at me. Yes, to oh, you. Yeah. So basically, there is a huge responsibility upon everyone in the world to help the Iranian people. And if we listen to the real Iranian people on the ground, you will hear how they are suffering with no voice, no choice at all whatsoever. Because their government is actually taking the monies, even like after 2015, after the nuclear deal, they actually became poorer. And every report indicates that. Instead of having 40% of the population under the poverty line, it became 55, 40% under the absolute poverty line, and 55% under the poverty line. So we are speaking of a very disastrous situation for the Iranian people. We need to be by the side of the Iranian people. I think the moment we are saying that Iran is not our enemy is the moment we are against the will of the Iranian people. That's what I can say. So I think we need to help them Come out I'm not going to say to help them with a regime change or anything, but to help them out by pressuring the Khomeini uh, uh, system to completely cut ties with all their terrorist uh, militias. And the world and the international community is not asking for too much. And the thing that about the 1953 and what happened with the Brits having the coup, etc., it's like if we believe in this analogy, we are actually giving a justification for 70% of the nations around the world that have been colonized by the Brits to go and use... And, uh, uh, terrorism against the UK and its region. Apostles. Okay, Salman. Now, uh, Daniel had his hand up, Mehdi had his hand up, and Azade had her hand up. Mehdi, I'm going to give you a, just a very brief reply to Salman, yeah. and then I have a question for Daniel. Um, I mean, fascinating that uh, Salman's quoting me from 2016. I've, I'm open about it. I'm not here to defend uh, Iran's crimes in the region. I'm saying Iran is not an enemy of the United Kingdom or the United States. And it's funny that he has to go back to 2016 to quote me. 
I could quote his entire speech from half an hour ago and change the word Iran to Saudi Arabia, and the whole speech would stand. I'm amused that Salman has such love for the Iranian people. I wish people in Saudi Arabia would have love for the Yemeni people who are being massacred by the Saudi government, or love for the Saudi people who are being locked up by a crown prince who uh, Salman supports so strongly. Ladies and gentlemen, just to remind you that we have uh, five minutes uh, left um, in our discussion uh, before we go to our closing uh, statements to remind you to keep sending in your questions with the Ask Question tab and keep your comments coming also on social media, on Twitter. The hashtag is IQ in small IQ and two, IQ two. Daniel, we have a question for you from Rohan who said, I think this is a fundamental question. What makes Iran a pariah state while other problematic regimes in the region are viewed as preferred business partners? Simply the fact that it has deployed lethal force beyond its borders in defiance of all international norms. There are all sorts of bad regimes in the world. You could list the human rights abuses of, as Mekti says, of Saudi Arabia or of Eritrea or of Ethiopia or whatever. But they are not sponsoring militias and terrorist cells on every continent. If you look at a, a list of countries that have been on the receiving end of state-sponsored Iranian terrorism. This goes way beyond the region. The list would include you know, Denmark, Indonesia, as I say, Argentina. And that's why we need to recognize that this is a regime that we need to confront and that we will be able to deal with Iran as a friend and ally when the Iranian people are free to choose their own government. And, and Daniel, just to, just so because this question has come up again, but just a one sentence answer. When you say confront, what do you mean by confront? Well, you know, in the it, at the height of the Cold War, when no, the one uh, sentence is this war? Well, is this more no, no, sanctions? No. What is it? Well, it, it's not a one sentence answer. There's a number of things you can do to target people uh, who are involved with the regime, short of uh, of economic sanctions that that hit the general population. But the first thing you need to do is to deprive them of the respectability that comes when you have this kind of. Uh, a relationship that, treat, that gives them the dignities of being a sovereign government while they refuse to reciprocate vis-a-vis -vis any other country. Azadeh, you had your uh, hand up. Yes, I mean, I, I simply had to, I was bewildered by what Daniel was saying about Iran being the uh, a singular nation that deploys lethal force outside of its borders. Um, I mean, surely we understand that Libya that the Horn of Africa, that Somalia, that whole swaths of continents are currently in massive, plagued by violent conflict and turmoil because of militias and mercenaries that are backed by various Middle Eastern powers. The United Arab Emirates, the Saudis from Yemen, across the Horn of Africa to the battlegrounds of Libya are deploying their weapons, their actors, their proxies, their mercenaries. Iran doesn't even have a finger in any of those conflicts, let alone, you know, aspirations to have them. So if we want to think about uh, countries that are projecting force beyond their borders in ways that are violent, destructive, uh, and deadly uh, to regional security, I think we have to be talking about other countries. And, and I still, I still am afraid I remain locked in, in, in wondering whether uh, Daniel is talking about Saddam Hussein in 2003 or Iran today, because everything that he says was deployed against Saddam Hussein then, and it is a language that is deploying, being deployed now for the exact same purposes. And we have the benefit of hindsight. We cannot allow that logic to be deployed for the same aim today. 
Our distinguished speakers for and against the motion. Now it is time to make your final pitch to our audience from around the world. You have one minute each. Let us start with Daniel Hanan. Well, to answer that last point, I opposed the Iraq war before. Everyone opposes it now. Everyone would rather have the, the trillion dollars to spend on something else. And of course, I'm not suggesting a war against Iran. But at the height of the Cold War, the Soviet dissident Vladimir Bukovsky talking about some new Western initiatives to try and, as to use her phrase, bring the Soviets in from the cold. He had a nice phrase. He said, how will this sound to the boys in the camps, meaning the political dissidents in the gulags? And that's the question by which we should measure our policy. There is an array of dissident and oppositional groups in Iran and in exile, monarchists, communists, and every shade of opinion in between, religious minorities, national minorities. How does it look and sound to them if we legitimize this, if you like, red-green alliance, this unhealthy and unholy alliance of religious fundamentalism and extreme revolutionary violence, we have a duty, particularly to the region, and I would say to the wider Muslim community who have been defamed by this regime, which claims to speak in their name, to deal with something better. And that's what I want to get to at the end of this process. I return to my point that, that I wish to, to repeat to you again and again tonight. The notion of Iran as an enemy is caressed by those who wish to go to war with Iran. If Daniel insists that he is not and that he does not support sanctions, I'm afraid he is something of a political unicorn. The circle of people that view Iran as an enemy, that promote sanctions against it, are the same circle who wish to take you to war and who dress their plans for regime change, violent regime change and overthrow in all of this rhetoric. I think it is a failure of our imagination if we are persuaded by that. And we have the recent history to, to caution us against it. Getting things wrong about Iran has a cost. 80 million Iranians have been denied access to medicines and ventilators in this most recent devastating pandemic because of the classification of Iran as an enemy. These sanctions are hurting people, and it is wrong. It pushes us to miss crucial political opportunities to stabilize Iraq, Afghanistan, countries that are neighboring Iran and that Iran also wishes to stabilize. It retards the progress of Iranian women in their decades-long battle for equality. And I... I am a real Iranian, and I say that as an Iranian, making my government an enemy does not help me. So do not do it for my sake. Salman Ansari. Yeah, to recap, if you vote for the motion, which is Iran is not our enemy, I think you are okay with the existence of Hezbollah and terrorist militias, and you are okay with the Iranian-backed Assad regime and the half a million people they have killed. And you are okay with the displacement of 12 million people, half of the Syrian population. And you are okay with the IRGC, Quds forces, Houthis, 75 Iranian-backed Iraqi militias. And you are okay with the fact that the Iranian regime continues to deny the Holocaust. And you are okay with the Iranian citizens suffering with no voice, no choice, no way out. Are you seriously okay with empowering this militant, wicked, despicable elite group and their global actions of brute force and overt mass water? If yes, then you should vote for the motion today. But as the Iranian proverb goes, a blind person who sees is better than a seeing person who is blind. You've heard the facts, so don't choose to be blind today. I urge you to vote against this unjustifiable motion. Thank you. Thank you. And last uh, for the motion, uh, Iran is not our enemy. Mehdi Hassan. 
Iran is not our enemy. You know what is our enemy? Climate change. That's a real enemy, threatening the lives of everyone watching this debate right now. Does Iran, a second-rate military power with a dysfunctional economy thousands of miles away, really pose the same threat? Come on. The worst terrorist attacks in the West, London, Madrid, Nice, Paris, New York, Boston, have nothing to do with the Iranians, but they did have everything to do with an ideology tied to Saudi Arabia, our ally. For the past 20 years, we've been lied to. We've been told time and again, this Middle East country is a threat. That Middle East country is a threat. And on the basis of those lies, we've launched disastrous wars. Let's not make the same mistake again with Iran. Don't be fooled by those who want to fearmonger and warmonger. You can oppose the Iranian government and demand a proper democracy in Iran. I know I do, but without calling that country an enemy, which is factually inaccurate and deeply dangerous. It leads to a situation today where thousands of people are dying from COVID-19 in Iran, and the US won't even suspend sanctions because Iran has been deemed the enemy. Look, we in the West have real and existential enemies to be worried about. But seriously, Iran isn't one of them. So please vote for this motion today. Mehdi Hassan. Our time is up for Mehdi Hassan, Salman Al-Ansari, Daniel Hanan, and Azadeh Mouavani. Good people of the Intelligence Squared online debate, it is your turn to remind you again how you voted the first time. 53% of you were for the motion. 14% of you were against, and a very big percentage, 33% hadn't made up your mind. Maybe you still haven't made up your mind, but now is the time to vote. To vote for the motion, Iran is not our enemy. To vote against the motion, or to say, well, thank you very much to our speakers, but I still haven't made up my mind. That's okay, too. And while you vote, let's just bring in another question, because our Panelists uh, seem to love answering these questions. And it is a question. Wow, this is a very, this for, for both Salman and Daniel. If Iran is our enemy, what are you going to do about it? That comes from Faiz. And I, I asked a similar question to Daniel a moment ago, so I'll put it to, to Salman. Sure. I think Sun Tzu um, said it very good. He said the supreme art of war is to subdue your enemy without going to war. So I think that's exactly the regional and international policy with regards to Iran, because we cannot, we cannot let this regime completely exploit the will of their people and to exploit the region and just to send their uh, um, militias all around the world. And they have sleeping cells in Europe, in the U.S., everywhere. And they have done, like, you know, if I can actually have like a list of hundreds and hundreds of terrorist attacks of the Iranian regime, but we cannot have enough time to mention all of them. So I think this is, I'm stating the obvious here. If we call Iran is not our enemy, we are actually putting ourselves in a position where we actually okay with the suffering of the Iranian people and we are okay with all this chaos that the Iranian regime has caused to the world. So all what we are asking for, for Iran, to step back and to completely withdraw all its militias from the region and the world and to just look after their people. We want them to look after their people. That's it. Iran has a great history, a great civilization that needs to be preserved. And definitely most of the Iranians, if not almost all of them, are actually ashamed of the brutal force and, terror, uh, 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 and terrorism of, of the Iranian regime. So, yeah. Okay. And if, and if they don't do that, what, what is that? What is, I think people are asking, they want to know, 
don't pull back their forces. There is no, yeah, no silver bullet to the Iranian uh, uh, crisis. We have to know. This is politics. The word of politics is the art of, you know, choosing okay. between two op options. Are we in a position where we give them the option of saying, you guys are okay, part of the international community, even though you go against the international community completely by spreading their, your chaos? Or are we having the other option, which is to completely confront them, not militarily, but confront them by words and by diplomacy until they completely withdraw their militias? Thank you, Salman. I'm going to slip in one last question, and it will go to Azadeh. I, I've seen your hand, Mehdi. But it's an important question. It comes from Laurie. What about the Iranian regime's continued uh, and ongoing assertion that Israel must be wiped out? What do you say to that? Israel and Iran are foes. They can certainly be enemies of each other. Uh, Iran has not attacked Israel. It does not have a budget that allows it to buy weapons. It doesn't have a strong conventional military, unlike Saudi Arabia, that spends a massive fraction of its GDP on the most advanced weaponry in the world. Uh, Iran and Israel uh, are at two poles of the region. Just like before the Iranian revolution, they were allies. Uh, they are in a state of checkmate, but it is not our fight. They can balance each other out however much they will, and I think the Israeli defense establishment has come out repeatedly cautioning against aggression with Iran. It is very much against that. It sees that as against Israel's interests. So I think we really must hew to the sane and intelligent voices that represent Israel's defense interests, uh, rather than listening to rhetoric of those who might try and project Israel forward to propel their own enmity with Iran. Mm. And I think our, the audience is right to be there. There is a war of words that does worry people. And so it was good to, for us to bring it up. Ladies and gentlemen, the moment has arrived. To remind you again how you voted when the debate began. 53% of you said you were for the motion. Iran is not our enemy. 13% of you, 14% rather, said that you were against it. And 33% of you were not decided. After our engaging debate, our passionate debate, undecided 4%, 4%. So ladies and gentlemen, for the motion, 85%. Mehdi Hassan, Azadeh Muavani, you have won the day with your arguments. But Daniel and Salman, you both made very good points on a very important issue of our time. And let me join our panelists in thanking all of you who joined us for this special Intelligence Squared Online Plus debate about Iran. Is it our enemy or is it not? A very important issue that is also a question for policymakers, military people and diplomats of our time. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing, Right now, you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? 
To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Partnerships.